Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer one of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. 
That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Again, onepassword.com slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepassword.com slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Hi, I'm Russell Lolliker, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, and I am joined today by my good friend, somebody who I hang out with on a regular basis. In fact, you'll find out how regular when we have this conversation. It's Russell Lolliker. He is an international speaker and the founder and host of Relationships at Work. It's the leadership mindset guide to creating a workplace we love it's a show digging into timely and relevant topics with global experts on how to be better leaders and create healthy workplace cultures. Russell has a wealth of experience in this arena as well as in other arenas such as movies. We get into movies. We actually talk a little bit about a movie and how leadership is demonstrated and relationships at work are demonstrated using it as kind of like a mini case study so you're going to want to check out that part comes near the tail end of our conversation but let's get into the very beginning of our conversation here's my conversation with my good friend russell lolliker enjoy russell thanks so much for taking the time to join me today this has been a long time coming (laughs) considering we're well over 500 episodes in well not well over we're a shade over 500 episodes in at this point uh and we've known each other for a long time longer i think longer than i've been the productivityist i think yes yep yep like back to the vardy.me days uh (laughs) um so for those i mean you've been you've spoken at the big ready twice both in person Mm -hmm. and virtually uh so for those that are unfamiliar with you Share a little bit about yourself right off the top. Sure. Hi, Mike. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Uh, So my name is Russell Lolliker. I am the creator of Relationships at Work, uh, which is a focus on helping leaders shift their mindset to fix the workplace and and the impact they have on workplace culture. Um, I've been in a leadership and communication space for about two decades now. I don't like increasing that number because it just makes me sound older than I like to admit to the rest of the world. Um, Yeah, I've worked in the private sector. I've worked in the public sector. I've had the pleasure of speaking at multiple events, including yours. Uh, I was graciously invited to speak. Uh, Yeah, that's me, man. My passion is to treat people better. That's my passion. So it's it's interesting because one of the things that we've talked about, you've actually, we, we get together every Sunday, uh, Russell and I, for those that are, you know, that, that you want to see behind the scenes. So every Sunday we have a weekly working session where we plan. Sometimes we we, we plan more than in other, <laughs> other sure. times. Um, example, we're recording this the day we actually, I normally only record on Wednesdays, um, but typically, but you know, today we, we actually are recording on a Sunday and literally we talked about Oppenheimer and, uh, a bunch of other stuff for about 30 to 40 minutes before we actually get into the gear. So we didn't actually have to do any warm up before our, our chat today. We already um, are kind of familiar with each other. But one thing that that I have to say is when we've had those mm. sessions, um, you know, we share a lot of, you know, insights. And one of the things that you shared with me that I was unaware of is the idea that the term soft skills is no longer in vogue. And the interesting thing for me is that when I was working at Costco, that was one thing that they said is they said, you've got all the hard skills in the world for this role, but you need to work on your soft skills. So first off, 
there may be an, you know, you may have to kind of couch this with what it, what are, what were soft skills? What are some, what's some of the nomenclature we're seeing now that kind of helps improve, you know, not only the, 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 the discourse going on about these kind of skill sets, but also frankly improves the relationships of work as a whole. Yeah. I mean, soft skills has been around forever. And I think it was originally brought up because it was just in, in response to quote unquote, as you mentioned, hard skills, mm. the skills to do the job. And then these soft skills were the human centered part of it. And that's what we really talk about a lot now is human centered skills. The problem is, is most people put into a Google search soft skills still. So you'll still very much still see that term being used, but in the workplace, a lot more movement away from that. You'll see uh, human resources are now usually called people and culture. Uh, that's where they're trying to get away from this whole different way of speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, soft skills being a big part of that. So you'll see leadership as well being used almost hand in hand with the idea of these human centered skills, because mm-hmm. again, the supervisor, the manager is the to-do list is the produce a thing while the leader is much more the human development empathy compassion that's more the path so i like saying human centered i know we're still going to say soft skills but it's really the same thing we're talking about do you think and i've have had conversations with daniel coyle before who wrote the culture code and he he you know he's he's we'll link back to that episode as our, our related conversation for sure but one thing that i was going to touch on with you is this idea of culture and how it seems to be speaking of something that is constantly rearing you know up in the world is we got to improve our company culture we got to improve our company culture that's going to help us with employee engagement do you find that to be the case, or do you think we're putting too much energy and leadership in particular is putting too much energy in this culture equation when there's something else maybe that they need to be looking at first and foremost? Well, it's yes and no, actually, is the answer to that. Because truthfully, I've heard that from a lot of people. We need to fix our culture. We need to, we need to craft our culture. I've heard that from executives. And yet, nine times out of 10, they don't realize that they already have a culture. Mm. They probably have 10,000 subcultures that are going in defense or in, you know, relation to the culture they think they have. Most executives that say words like that are more out of touch with what's actually happening with their organization than they should be. And I think if, if a lot of leaders, culture is by far the 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 lifeblood of an organization it's what people get up and look forward to doing every day not the work necessarily but also the people that is around them the people they get to interact with the the cultural norms what's accepted what's not accepted and i say that people are excited to do this but let's be honest it could also be horrific too right Cultures are horrible for a lot of organizations too and i was even having a discussion today with someone on LinkedIn. And they were talking about how people don't leave companies, they leave bad bosses. Mm. And I'm like, actually, that's not true. They leave cultures that allow for bad bosses. Right. Because you can have a bad boss and that person gets fixed, addressed, reprimanded. You as an employee were like, oh, that's the kind of culture we have. We have a culture that doesn't allow bad behavior. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen very often. And that's what employees leave is that kind of culture. So 
In a nutshell, culture absolutely is essential. Unfortunately, most organizations think from the top down they need to craft something right. without actually having any situational awareness of what already is. Well, and speaking of situ situational awareness, do you think that when it comes to building and fostering and nurturing relationships at work, that there is this preconceived notion or this um, kind of drive to find quick fixes rat or hack it for like, cause you know how I feel about life hacks, but hack it rather than, you know, spend the concerted time and effort and energy to actually cultivate those relationships. Are, are you finding that that's something that, you know, and, and this may be a loaded question. So if you need to take another direction, absolutely. But do you find that that's something that's happening? And, and if so, how does one kind of circumvent that? Absolutely. Freaking lutely. Uh, how many times do you do a presentation where they're like, what are your takeaways? Mm. What are your quick takeaways? And that's always BS because at the end of the day, it's about mind shift. It's about mindset. And unfortunately, most, and I'll put air quotes, leaders are trying quick fixes and it's not their fault. They're in 170 meetings throughout the day. Mm. So they're looking for quick little to-do list. Oh, if I just do these three things, then I'll have a great culture when really those relationships are built over time. This is always boggles my mind, is that we treat work like it's different than life. So that once you go through these doors or you turn on this monitor, suddenly how we interact with people, how we build trust, how we build relationships is somehow different than we do with our friends and family. When the ingredients are exactly the same thing, consistency, availability, honesty. And a lot of Leaders, again with the air quotes, don't understand that this is intentional time rather than being some commodity that jumps from meeting to meeting to meeting. They have to be intentional and understand it's a long game, not a quick fix. As in all our relationships in life, at work is no different. But where do you start? Like, where does a leader start if they recognize this? Because I think that I would think that a leader would want this to happen. I mean, a good leader would want this to, to, would want the relationships at work to work and not just, you know, have them be, uh, you know, frenetic or, or hodgepodge, like something that not only can happen with one uh, particular employee, but like everybody on the team. So where do you start? Ever found yourself deep in a project, your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away? That's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life. But what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not, because CrashPlan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to CrashPlan.com timecrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one get one offers supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast. So take a moment to check them out. Crash plan is the superhero of cloud based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. Crash plan ensures that every file, every idea and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected with crash plan professional. You get unlimited backup for your computers, 
not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to CrashPlan.com timecrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's CrashPlan.com timecrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food, it's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? Well, it's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger, Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a Productive Conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today. Um, you start with yourself more than anything else. I like to actually pull it back even further and understand that there are three ways of looking at everything in an organization, especially as a leader when you're looking to build those relationships. Looking at it from the air, the land, and the sea, to use a metaphor. Sure. So from the air is understanding there's an environment that you have no control over, absolutely none. When that person goes home, they're dealing with financial issues, family issues, sickness, trauma, um, just there's so many things that happen that impact the, the world that we work in. So understanding that that is a part that where you're going to have to show some empathy and compassion, regardless of the fact that you have any say, is a big first step, is that awareness. Then understanding situational awareness, which we just talked about, mm -hmm. is that what is the existing culture? What's your awareness of that is ex existing culture? What is your footprint on a day-to-day -day basis to the existing culture. And then back is the sea level, which I like to look under. The metaphor works, Mike. The sure, metaphor no, works. no, I get it. I like it. I like it. I like it. The underneath, the, the layers below. 
the Go surface. below the surface, looking at yourself and understanding self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I always say the biggest superpowers you have is situational and self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And if you can understand who shows up, how you react in any given situation, how you react to feedback, how you react to truth to power, how you react when things don't go your way, it's really important to understand that. So I think to answer your question of where do you start, you start with yourself and understand your ecosystem in the world of work because you have to understand what you're bringing to the table before you can understand the world around you. So where, so again, let's, let's dovetail from that into obviously people who are running organizations, large or small, you know, time is a crunch, right? We know that we know that the, and, and the thing is, is this to me feels like a qualitative element more than a quantitative one. I'm not saying that it won't have quantitative Mm -hmm. dividends, but it's not apparent upfront, right? Like we hear about, you know, you hear about retention rates, but sure. But that one really, really good person left. So that, that, that number is skewed because if you've got somebody that's kicking butt and they leave, they shouldn't, represent that just single number because obviously there's a domino effect. So for somebody who wants to start to, you know, again, look inward, figure this stuff out, but they also have to deal with all of the quantitative data points and everything else that's going on. How do they make time for that? Again, we go back to the word of intention. So I had in one organization I worked in, I had the highest retention rate across the entire organization. One of the like 12 years, I had the exact same team. And the reasons I had that was because I made it about them. Mm. I, I did a few things. One, um, I booked time with them, half hour. The frequency was really based on them. So it was a half an hour of their time. And I just shut up and asked questions. I just got super curious. And in that half an hour, it could be about professional development. It could be about their home life. It could be about a business area that they're having some difficulties with. It could be about the work itself. Hell, it could be about absolutely anything, but it is their decision and their time. Right. And whether it goes to 30 minutes or five minutes, it doesn't matter. I'm just there to be a support, a friend, a guide. I tried to cancel these every once in a while because I was like, do they really? I got my head ripped off a few times. (laughs) They loved them because it made them build a connection with me as well as helped me better understand them. And the innovation that came out of that, the creativity that came out of that, because I was understanding them as a person and allowing them that space to be their whole selves, they certainly brought that into their work in day to day, but that was just our own time to do that in. So if anything is book and block the time, because if you're choosing to go to your 17th meeting over choosing to sit down with your team and your staff, you're not a leader. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think, and I think also it allows you to see the nuances of that relationship over time, because I mean, and I can't tell you how many times, and I use this as an example a lot when I'm working with leaders or managers. Um, and those don't always, aren't always the same. (laughs) You can be a manager and not necessarily a leader. Um, but they'll, they'll say like, I've got all these reviews to do and it's annual review time. I'm like, so that shouldn't be a huge issue for you. And they're like, what do you mean? It's annual review. Like I have to do all, I'm like, but if you were doing bit by bit month over month, then number one, you get recency, uh, you, you aren't a victim of recency bias, right? Because you're only thinking about the thing that's recent, right? You're not looking at like all of the, 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 the story of the year you're looking at the last 30 days, two weeks, what have you, right? Unless, but, and it doesn't, 
I mean, it's funny because well, I make notes and so on. Yeah, but what you're talking about, those 30 minutes, that to me cultivates a truer, more genuine appraisal, not just of the person's performance, but of so much more, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And having those annual or like every two years surveys are meaningless because and I've heard this from a lot of a lot of uh, people in the HR firm, HR area is if it goes well, they'll, you know, put out the fireworks. If it yeah. goes bad, they'll just say, well, it was just a moment in time. Yeah. So it's absolutely pointless as a trend, as a listening tool, as a VOE tool, voice of the employee. But if you're and to your point, if you're having these regular meetings, mm-hmm. you are getting my, like my meetings to start versus my meetings a decade later we're completely different yep. because we're friends. Mm-hmm. I have, I know so much more complexities as the person, what motivates them, what their values are, how, how they want to be engaged with. I know them so much better over time that I am of more value to them as their leader. Okay. So, so, so this, this is actually interesting because I'm sure somebody out there is like, but I don't want to be their friend. So how does mm. that, so, so is it just, a language thing in terms of that, because obviously like, so, I mean, the idea of treating someone as a, in a friendly manner or being friendly with them or being a friend versus being, having this hierarchical role, even though there, there might be in structurally there is there, um, that, so you don't go and necessarily hang out with the people that, you know, afterwards, but they are friends, they're colleagues, right? It really puts, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the whole equation I would imagine, right? Absolutely. I like the word colleagues. Um, yes, I'm going to use the word friends. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to be their friends. So when I ask them, I'm like, why? Why? Yeah. Is it because you don't want to have that personal relationship with them? Okay. So them as humans doesn't matter to you. Mm-hmm. It's about the work. Great. They'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Like if they don't have a human connection and feel like what they do matters and feel like their leader cares about them as human beings then you're looking at them like a cog in a wheel and not a person. Like for somebody that says, I don't want to be friends with my staff. Great. You shouldn't have people report to you. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be in a higher, you should be in a bunker somewhere doing a great job, but not as being that responsible for other human beings. Right Now I say this, it's a blanket statement, knowing full well, there are tons of diverse and different cultures. Neurodivergent, I find really interesting as a diverse uh, sect that, that engages differently, that understands emotional cues differently. I, I think they all can be very connected and everybody can find some common ground in familiarity, in personalization. Friends is such a triggering word for a lot of people because it feels like, oh, we have to be Facebook friends now. Right. That's or there's a vulnerability or there's a vulnerability factor there that 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 they may not be comfortable with. Totally. And yet vulnerability is one of the most powerful things you can display in the workplace to build the connection that motivates people. Mm-hmm. So this is uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's it's a lot of leaders don't have this skill set, don't understand that they have to dive in to understand this. And, and I feel bad for a lot of leaders because they're put in positions of no professional development, no training. They're just there because they fix somebody's problem or somebody likes them, not because they're really good at actually leading humans. And that's right. what we're, I'm trying to lean towards. I want to shift gears for a second because Please. something literally came to mind as we were talking about this. We talked about me seeing the movie Oppenheimer 
like yesterday. So let's 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 look let's deconstruct that a little bit. Now, keeping in mind that what we're talking about is a fictional dramatization of what happened in that movie. So for example, we know Oppenheimer is a real person, so on and so forth, but we don't know what happened inside the room. For those of you who have not seen Oppenheimer yet, we're not going to really spoil anything here. All we're going to say is he led a team, right? He was in charge of a project and he wasn't put in charge of the project because of who he was and what he brought to the table and all that. But he was a theor- he was a theorist, right? He was theoretical. So his I mean his he even said, "I don't make the thing." I give you the information and then you make the thing. And if it works, then my theories were correct. And if we don't, we go back to the drawing board. So when I'm thinking about this film and I'm thinking about the conversation we're having right now, I remember scenes where he is in front of the room and he's got what a dozen, 15 different physicists, all with varying levels of expertise mm-hmm. that he brought in. What, when you, Thinking back, and I remember I'm asking you to think back like four because you saw it like you're a big movie fan too. So you opening saw it like, weekend. yeah, yeah, you saw it like opening weekend. I saw it like as soon as I could see it at the theater that I really wanted to see it at. If, if hopefully I've given you enough time to think back to what those relationships look like, and again, we know that there's flaws and all that stuff. And but I'd love you to like kind of think about that for a second and ask yourself like, was in that, in the context of that movie and the way that he was portrayed, was he develop? Was he displaying strong relationships at work vibe for you, vibes for you, or was it a mix? I think it was a mix. I mean, in with my relationships at work, leadership communication yeah. lens, he was. The thing is, is that they were all in the same rowboat rowing in the same direction to some degree. Right. Their whole point was that they wanted to achieve a thing. Spoilers, Mm -hmm. atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. So that a common vision is astronomically powerful for uh, everybody feeling like they're all a team. They're cohesive. They have a common vision. They can argue much like a lot of the scientists did in that movie. And I'm sure in real life. Mm But at least they all knew there was a common purpose, a common good, I guess. Yeah, fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we mean, there was some, amb- obviously there's moral ambiguity attached to some of what they were doing. But I mean, that aside, we're looking at it from a from almost like an objective point of view. So that's, that's exactly what you're getting at. Like the diverse, because there's a lot of diversity in that group. Absolutely. And different ways of thinking. Mm. But they all were pulling in the same direction direction obviously a bit more drama for the sake of a movie sure but they all had a vision of solving a problem to beat another country in that success like there was competitiveness there was achievement of brilliance so i think the relationship there was and i love this example because i've heard it over and over again is stop talking about the workplace as a family start looking them like a sports team right Uh, that came up in um uh what's the oh uh Yes, it was uh, Netflix, um, the Netflix idea, right? Like, yeah. we're not a family, we're a sports team. Some of us are, we have some star players, but there's a lot of us that are just, yeah. Um, we'll definitely link, because I talked to, um, oh my goodness, it's escaping me right now, but there's an episode where this came up. I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. And that's, you need people to be the top performers, but you also need those people that are just keeping the machine running, that are, you know, so it's, I think there were relationships. They were certainly a different type of people. I can't even begin to understand being brilliant at that level. Sure. But there were relationships absolutely there. All right. Let's let's 
continue to go down this rabbit hole a bit with a different film, though, because I know you're into, like, can you think of, no, but seriously, like, can you think of a film I'm okay. <laughs> where, where oh. you're like that person that's leading this team or leading this, you know, whatever this initiative, they are exhibiting the kind of traits that we need to see more with their team. Because you and I have had conversations about customer relationships, right? Like how to be making sure that we're taking care of the customer and so on and so forth. That's all well and good. But this is an area that I know you're focusing on because it's an area that, that needs work, right? Mm, that, yeah. So can you, and if you can't, that's fine. But if, can you think of an example of one where you're like, yeah, this is a good example of, you know, what I'm trying to say, you know, what I share and what I, what I teach in action. Oh man, no, I can't think of anything. <laughs> Not at the top of my freaking head. <laughs> I mean, immediately I'm thinking of any sports movie ever. Right. Like in the team, like Hoosiers. Sure. Like there's, except, you know, Dennis Hopper having his own emotional struggles right. in that movie. But I, I think really it's about respecting everybody mm -hmm. and understanding the value of what they're bringing to the table. And I mean, that was one of the key factors of my success in retention was that it wasn't just personalizing it and understanding people. It was also connecting the work that they did had genuine beneficial um, value to those that they were helping. They were serving the connective tissue of it all. And, right. and I see, see that, I mean, pick a movie. I mean, as much as I'm a movie nerd, I'm like, I don't know, Mike. I didn't see, do my see, research. So the reason I ask this is because, you know, I, when I see a film or yeah. a movie, like, and I think this has a lot to do with the fact that, and I've talked about this before, you know, having done comedy and stuff, I always, there's always that in the back of my mind. So whenever I'm watching something, it does somehow connect to whatever my vocation or calling is right now. Like, so that's why I'm able to like write a, you know, piece about like, the Royal rumble and why two minutes isn't really two minutes. Right. You know what I mean? Like who's going to think about that, but that's the creative aspect, but th let's circle back to something I mentioned, which is, um, which I think is worth diving into a bit more is why are, why are organizations so much more focused on making sure the relationship with the customer is so strong as opposed to making sure that the relationship with the employees is strong as a, I wouldn't say that one is more like, I don't think one is more important than the other, but certainly it seems to me that one definitely has precedence over the other. And is that number one fair? Is that appropriate? And it either way, is it, is it something that, how do you address it? It's funny. There is so many different theories around this, but I mean, the default is, is customer equal money. Yeah. Period. Employee equals cost center. Yes. That's generally what has always been. I, I mean, my, my pivot, I used to, as you mentioned, I used to be in the customer service realm. That's mm -hmm. very much where I focused all my attention, my brand, everything. And I'm at a conference in 2018 in San Francisco speaking, and I thought I'd ask around at this customer service conference about employees. And the glazed looks I got were just sort of like, oh, oh, right, we should do something with those people too. Like they were just... I couldn't reason that that was a priority. Of course, a lot has changed since COVID. A lot has changed since the pandemic and people realizing the employees have a voice too. And, and thank goodness. I mean, I even did a Google search back, uh, no, Amazon search um, at around that time to look at how many books were about the customer experience and how many were the employee experience. Right. And there was like a hundred times more around the customer. Right. Thankfully, we are shifting that. 
the the mindset across the board is. And I think what's forced most organizations is because employees were quitting. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you can you can do that. Oh, wait, now we have to care about you. And certainly during the pandemic, we learned very quickly who were the good leaders and who were the horrible leaders, because that is such a great litmus test is emergencies. (laughs) And we learned a lot from that. So I think I think the shift is already happening. A lot of organizations, and if the leadership isn't going to start moving towards the employee, and I don't mean to discount the customer or to take away from the customer, but understand the employee is the one that's interacting with those customers. They're the ones that are the uh, ambassador, the advocate of the organization and the brand. And if they don't feel part of something valued, feel like a human that is valued, then they're not going to bring their best selves, their best sales self, their best customer service rep self. We're human beings. So of course, you have to treat us as such so we can do our jobs better. Before we wrap up, um, I want to make sure that we give the listener out there, uh, and we have more than one, but I'm talking to you, the listener right now. (laughs) We have three, all three of you. Uh, um, What's one productive action that somebody can take today that will help get them that much closer to improving their relationships at work. And we'll look at this from the leadership standpoint. That way they can walk away and go, okay, I'm going to start this, you know, I mean, for us, it'd be tomorrow because tomorrow's Monday, but you know, whenever you're listening to this, this is when you can take this and, and, and run with it. Block off 15 minutes and have a chat with a team member that has nothing to do with work. Talk to them like a person, hear how their day went, what they're looking forward to, just as a person, not about work, but as a person that shows up that you're responsible for. 15 minutes in a calendar and be precious about it. All right. Well, there you go. That's your assignment, everybody. Thanks so much, uh, Russell, for being here today. It's been, like I said, it's been a long time. Uh, Where can people keep up with the work that you're doing? I know you got the podcast, which I definitely want you to share, but where else can uh, people learn more about what you're doing and, and keep connected? And the amazing Mike Varney was a guest and we talked about time and the employee <laughs> sense, leadership sense. This is true. Uh, yeah. yeah. Relationshipsatwork.ca. You can find my website. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, uh, my newsletter. Uh, it's all available. LinkedIn, especially. Spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Uh, please, let's talk leadership. Let's talk employee engagement. I do love talking about it. Thanks for having a productive conversation with me today, my friend. My pleasure, sir. See you Sunday. Thanks to Russell for taking the time to join me on this episode. You can find all of the relevant show notes, including related podcast conversations, related blog posts, all that fun stuff at productivityist.com slash podcast five zero four. That's it for this episode. I would love to see you back for the next episode and the next one and the next one. So don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the podcast. That way we know that you were here and we know what we can improve upon and what you liked. We want to also know what you like to purchase, what you like to check out, and you can support the show by checking out the sponsors you heard during our conversation today. Head to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to check them out. And that way they know that we sent you to them. Again, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. I know your time is precious, so I really appreciate it. And until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.